Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi, I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. As most people appreciate, a self-funded super fund is a great way to take ownership of your retirement savings and to invest in line with your objectives, but it's not without its challenges. Uh, If I speak from my personal experience, and I've done that before, it has taught my husband and I that we are much less organised than we thought we were, and we really have to set time aside mostly to keep on top of paperwork, uh, get our strategy in order, all that kind of stuff. Today, I'm really excited to have Donna Fleming, Assistant Commissioner in the SMS area of the ATO, that's the Australian Taxation Office, with me to outline what the ATO considers to be the most important things for SMSF trustees to know and do. The ATO regulates the sector, as most of you would know, so hearing from them directly is the very best way to ensure that you're doing what you need to do. Donna, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for asking me along, Gemma. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me a bit about the SMSF sector. You guys have exceptional data on who trustees are, what they're doing, what kind of person sets up an SMSF. What do you guys know? Uh, Well, we probably um, know quite a lot. Not everything I can share, of course, today, but perhaps at a macro level, uh, hopefully um, most people are aware of the size of the sector, but I do like to mention it because it is one third of the superannuation savings of Australia, so it's not a small sector. Uh, And that is representing 1.1 million trustees. So that's about 600,000 funds because most are two member funds and they are responsible for $750 billion. So all those individuals have, of course, taken on the responsibility to manage their own super and are very interested in doing so. And that's, um, we've been the regulator for 20 years. It's our anniversary this year, 20 years of being the SMSF regulator. Thank you, (laughs) no presents required. Uh, And I think what we can say, what we've observed with the vast majority of the population is they are highly engaged and do want to do the right thing. But there are some really key things that people do need to be aware of when they set up their SMSF. And probably the number one thing, which you've already alluded to in your introduction, is the time Mm -hmm. and cost involved. Uh, ASIC did a really good report last year where they interviewed quite a number of trustees and what they found was one third said themselves that they had underestimated the time and cost that was involved in running an SMSF. So it's not an uncommon theme. And so what we are really about is to try and help trustees understand what those obligations are. And whilst it might be uh, something that people are attracted to, to manage and take control of their own super, it really isn't something that you can do by yourself. And you do need a lot of professionals to help you out. That's a really interesting point. I mean, I've been working in the sector, um, you know, consider myself to be a professional mm-hmm. to an extent. And even then, you know, it's not that the time is a burden, it's just that if you're not very organised, which as I said was what we discovered, there's just all that extra work involved. And it's it's really tricky. So, as I said, we don't have to, you know, my husband and I don't have to employ a lot of professionals. We use a professional administrator, mm. so they take care of the tax return, the compliance reporting, all that sort of stuff, and obviously the audit. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and we do use some professional investment options as well, so we, you know, areas that we're not 
confident running money ourselves, infrastructure funds, for example. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a little bit outside my sphere. Um, you know, so we use some professionals, but far fewer than some other people do, where they use a financial planner, an accountant, or someone like that. The most critical thing about an SMSL, though, right, you are responsible for everything that happens. Yeah, and this is uh, one of the key messages that, unfortunately, I think um, trustees, in getting into that process of engaging with all the advisors and setting themselves up, sometimes overlook. Mm. And in the end, you can't outsource your legal responsibilities as a trustee to your accountant, to your tax advisor, to whoever's helped you set up, or even your financial advisor. You remain ultimately responsible for adhering to the legal obligations that are required of running an SMSF. And they are, of course, the obligations under um, what we call the CIS Act, um, the Super... Oh, God, I never can say that, right? The Superannuation Industry Supervisory Act. Uh, and there are quite a number of obligations that have to be complied with. And trustees do need to make themselves be aware of that. All trustees sign a declaration at the start, but I fear too often they're caught up in a lot of other paperwork that has to be um, set up at the start. But I do encourage trustees to read it because it gives a really good summary of all those obligations that you need to comply with. There are the obvious ones, like don't take out your super before you've retired, but there are numerous others which also carry with them legal obligations and penalties if you don't comply. And those penalties will be imposed on the trustees themselves. So the corporate trustee or personally, if they're an individual trustee acting in their own right. So th these are the things that um, we really need our trustees to be aware of because if they get it wrong in the end, it's them that bears the penalty and the financial cost. It is. It sounds quite terrifying. I think for most people, like you're running, if you're running a fairly vanilla investment strategy, it's not particularly difficult. It's just a matter of putting the time and the effort in. So from your perspective, what are the main things that people should consider when they're setting up a fund or if they've already got one, you know, how do I know I'm doing it right? Yeah, sure. So um, perhaps the most obvious one which we've touched on is the time. And mm. you've got to be committed to it. It isn't something you can kind of fit in on the side. I, I was reading um, one of the pieces that the SMSFA, the Self-Managed Super Fund Association, put out, and they had uh, done some research uh, similar to your theme, and they all their um, respondents said on average it took one day a month to manage their SMSF. So that was administration, paperwork, just trying to deal with the things that you have to do, like the other key things that are absolutely critical, lodging a tax return, having an auditor, making sure you get your annual audit done every year, working out if you have to do other reporting. So of course we have new um, obligations as of this year in your transfer balance account reporting where you have to report um, particular events to the tax office in near real time if you are more than one million dollars. So. There's a lot of nuances that um, perhaps get overlooked at the start, but a bit of um, time invested up front, I think, to just try and make sure that you're across what all those obligations are, can um, help diffuse that sense of overwhelm um, obligations to be met and how much you have to do. But there's no doubt that it is a, not a decision to be taken lightly because it does require a lot of your personal time and attention. And when your accountant rings up or your tax agent rings up, you've got to be available and you have to keep really good records to make their job as easy as possible and help manage to keep your costs down. Obviously, the less you have done yourself, the more they have to do for you. 
I, yeah, I don't, I don't find the paperwork that difficult because everything's sort of largely done online. If you have an administrator, that I mean, that is one of the best things that you can do, Gemma, because they do manage all that for you and do a lot of direct feeds now with the digital age, which are great. Yeah, which is fantastic. Mm. So for people who don't know what a direct feed is, oh, that is yes. yeah, <laughs> I, um, effectively the data. Uh, so I obviously do a lot of my trading and investing via NabTrade and the data from NabTrade about what I hold and what transactions we've undertaken in the self-managed super fund uh, uh, just gets fed directly to our self-managed super fund administrator. So in their accounting software, they've got all of our transactions and they get in touch with us and go, you move this money here, what was that for? And you move this money here and what was that for? Now, if I had to keep paperwork on that, it would be a nightmare. And thankfully, <laughs> they just follow me up and check what I'm doing yeah. so that I can just notify them as to what it was for. What I find most tricky not tricky, laborious, mm. keeping on top of is because we're in the accumulation phase. Yeah. Every month we have to make a decision about what we're doing with the inflows and you've got to make sure you've sort of got enough money set aside for costs and whenever we want to change our investments, mm -hmm. not the strategy itself because that's fixed, but the investments, there's just a bit of work involved. It's no different to managing any other investment portfolio, but because the sum is quite sizable, yeah. uh, which is awesome, mm. I'm pretty thrilled about having yes, a sizable sum for our retirement. That's the whole point of it. <laughs> but there's still there's work in it. And, the, you know, getting a note from Computer Share saying... Uh, We've just received a distribution. You haven't told us where it's supposed to go, so we will hang on to that until you notify us your bank account details and that sort of stuff. All those little bits and pieces, they just take time. And I think if you're not prepared for that... Certainly when I speak to investors, heaps of retirees, they're on top of this. Mm. They love it. They're really organised. They're not worried. And their concerns are about making payments, not about receiving inflows. So I think it depends on what stage you're in. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, managing those flows is quite interesting and making sure you're always investing the money that's coming in yeah and keeping up to date with everything i mean mm. the law unfortunately doesn't stand still either so there's <laughs> often new obligations that have to be complied with as well so it is um, not a set and forget i think that's no. the key message is you have to be engaged and you have to be willing to commit to that and if you're starting quite young like yourself Gemma, mm. oh so it's, young um, so young it's a lifetime <laughs> commitment mm. We're happy to do it. I mean, it's pretty exciting to go, you know, we're invested in this and we're hanging on to it for long term and all that kind of stuff. But there are obviously not great reasons to set up an SMSF and you guys, you see the worst of it. So what would you say are the wrong reasons in your experience? Yeah, look, the, the most obvious is um, to access your super early. And that can happen for a variety of reasons. Uh, we do sadly see all too many cases, promoters operating in this space where they prey on vulnerable people and actually misrepresent themselves potentially as a financial advisor and they say, it's okay, you can roll your money out of your APRA fund into an SMSF, you can pay me a small fee for assisting you or perhaps a not so small fee and uh, in return we'll set up your SMSF for you, help you get all the paperwork through the ATO and ABR, all the things you have to do to get started and then you can take your money out and spend it on your holiday, new car, renovation, whatever it is that um, people want to do. And so that, that is one sort of type of behaviour that we see and we obviously um, work very closely with ASIC in that space because that is, um, they are responsible for regulating financial advisors. So if we see that kind of behaviour, we will let them know and they will follow it up. So that's one aspect that we deal with. Um, 
Just to clarify on that, so of course, highly illegal, right? Illegal, yeah, absolutely. And the sad part of it is for um, this type of scheme is that the outcome of that is in taking out that lump sum from your super, that that then becomes your own accessible income. So it gets taxed at your marginal rate, right? So, so you just lost half your balance. So there. you just lost your super as well. So you think you're getting a really great benefit, but in the end, you end up getting taxed all as income. Mm. In fact, when it was sitting as capital in your fund. So it's a really mm. bad outcome for the individuals concerned, which makes me the most angry when I hear mm. that type of behaviour because they're representing they're going to get a benefit and they end up financially worse off, not just because they've spent the money, but then they have to pay tax on that amount as well, which is a really nasty outcome. The other sort of sad situation is um, financial stress. And uh, it, I think this situation is very sad because generally people have the best of intentions and they take it out and they think I'll pay it back when, when I get back on my feet and all too often sadly they don't. And again it is illegal uh, and we then need to take action for having, um, we observe that we can't not take action for everybody that does the right thing, they need to be confident in the system that those who do the wrong thing there will be a consequence. So again that ends up being assessed in their um, own hands as um, taxable income and usually in that case we would, um, you know, in both those cases we would disqualify the um, trustee which means they can never act as an SMSF trustee ever again because we would consider this such a high risk of future non-compliance and repeat of that behaviour. So it really ends up in a really nasty place for, for that kind of um, taking your money out early when you can't. Um, yeah, it's sort of all too, a bit of a sad topic really, but one of the biggest risks we have and we do see it most manifesting itself um, through those first year lodgements. So we, we do have um, ways that we try and stop people getting into the system, but often these people are coached if they're being assisted by a promoter and they can get through. Uh, and then we usually see the highest risk flag is that they don't lodge their first tax return because obviously they're not going to lodge their tax return and tell us they haven't got any super left. There's no money in there. Yeah. <laughs> you want to so, keep that fairly quiet, really, wouldn't you? Exactly. Yeah. So we, we do, um, we have sort of engaged in much earlier intervention strategies around our first year lodgers, our first new SMSFs this year, and really um, nudged them and reminded them about their lodgement obligations. And then if they don't lodge, that's a real flag for us, and we do follow them up now straight away to try and um, work out if there is any super left or if they've taken it out. Yeah, catch it early mm. if you can. You guys uh, publish a document which I think has the best title of anything I've ever seen in the entire super system, which was, it's your money but not yet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't be clearer than with that title. It's so fantastic. Yeah, I quite liked that title. Yeah, our marketing people came up with it, not me, but I was like, mm. oh, that's exactly what I want to say. Because yeah. that's literally, what people need to remember. Literally your money but not yet. Can you just clarify for people, so mm. when is it your money? When have you met what is known as a condition of release because if there's any confusion about that let's clear it up right now yeah so the most um clear cut case is when you are 60. Mm -hmm. so that's the easiest rule of thumb if you follow that you won't get into any trouble uh, there are some other sort of conditions where you um have permanently retired and you're never going to work again so that's when it gets a little bit more complicated which um, can also apply so you're retired mm. uh, and that's generally if you're sort of over 55 that might come into play um, so that I think the simplest one so people don't get confused is just mm. think if you're 60 that's okay if you're not probably go get advice yeah yeah so don't effectively if you're 45 
Super. Just leave it there. It's for your retirement. Because that idea that it's for your time is what people need to keep an eye on. Investing your super money for your retirement, great fun. That's what a self-managed super fund is for. And there's plenty of public offer funds too, by the way, which give you a huge amount of investment choice now. They've come to understand they need to compete with the choice and flexibility and sometimes the cost savings of self-managed super funds and give people a lot more flexibility so you can invest in direct shares and stuff that's if right. that's what you want to do. Yeah, there are a lot of big funds that now offer those um, direct investment options so you can have a SMSF-like experience. Um, but interestingly, you know, the, the sector's still growing, not as... Mm. Um, at the trajectory it was when it first sort of started out, but it is growing annually year on year because in the end people do like the idea and of managing for their own retirement and feel that they take the most care and attention to it and that's probably not untrue in the vast majority of cases. I will say for the the trustees and the individuals that I meet, particularly retirees, I find, um, and I shouldn't generalise, but I find for a lot of men when they retire, they've got this huge amount of time on their hands now that they used to spend in professional endeavours. A lot of them will take all of that energy and plough it into their investments. They love running an SMSF. Like, that's their passion now, where they've directed a lot of their professional energy from previously. And they take it really seriously and it's a real... Yeah, it's a real joy for them. We meet them at a lot of events and so on. Yeah, they're very passionate, Gemma. I agree. And uh, a lot of them come up to me after I've given Mm. speeches when I um, do the circuit. And they are. They're absolutely passionate and they care a lot. And, you know, that's the really um, heartwarming kind of side of the industry because one of the key... um, operating standards uh, which probably most people never would have bother reading and certainly I wouldn't if I wasn't in the sector um, is that you know you should treat your super as a prudent person would who is managing somebody else's money so you know you you should think about managing your money with the same care and diligence that you would expect a third party to look after your money for you mm. and I think that's a really good way of thinking about it so what would a prudent person do in your own shoes and sounds like you're fully following that philosophy, Gemma. <laughs> and, uh, and and so do most trustees. It's uh, well, I every now and then have a good hard chat with myself and tell myself to get more organised. <laughs> it's all right. It's a regular conversation. So let's say you've done your research. You're sure an SMSF is right for you. What do you need to do next? Again, speaking from personal experience, even with the right support, and we were really fortunate, as I said, we went through a professional administrator. Mm. I know them personally. I know they're going to get it right. We were astonished by the range of technical details. As you say, you've got to sign uh, a declaration saying you're going to follow the law. I mean, it was one of 700 pieces of paper I signed. Mm. There's a lot in it. Yeah, so... There's uh, a lot to get across in those early days and uh, then it does, I think, at least switch to a more monitoring mode, though there is all the everyday decisions to be made, as you've rightly pointed out, with what do you do with your money and is it invested the way you want it to be. Uh, but the really fundamentals of what you need to do at setup is um, thinking about do you want to be an individual trustee or have a corporate trustee. There's a lot of succession planning um, decisions to be made in making that choice so again professional advice is very helpful Uh, just getting your trustee to set up Uh, for anyone that reads things in the sector there's always a a litany of cases in this space when uh, unfortunately one of the trustees dies or if there's uh, broken families uh, and what that trustee says and how that should operate when um, one of the trustees dies is really important to make sure it's right. Uh, I really do encourage people to give advice and not take it off the shelf so that they understand what the implications are later on down the track. Uh, important, appointing your trustees and directors, that's fairly straightforward. Having your own bank account. Um, 
we've been really um, paying a lot more attention to this because in an electronic age it's absolutely critical that the right bank account is in the SMSF's name and not in the individual trustee's name, uh, which gets to the not mixing your assets up. So it's quite clear that when you're taking money out of your SMS and investing it, that's the SMSF's money and it's not your own money um, and acquiring an asset obviously with that money. Because if you take it out and put it in your own bank account, of course, that's illegal early release and you end up in the situation we've just discussed earlier where you're taxed on it. So I mean, just on that, because I will, again, speaking from personal experience, mm -hmm. it's amazing how doing it yourself makes you really focus on the details. Mm -hmm. If you have your SMSF accounts with the same bank um, or institution where you have your other accounts, chances are they'll be on the same profile, which means you need to be unbelievably careful knowing which one's which. Now all of ours are with the same institution, which is fine, but the very first thing I did was go in and rename all of them, mm -hmm. so there was no chance that either I you know, whether I'd had a glass of wine or I was just in a bit of a yeah. hurry or my husband by accident not paying attention have moved money from the wrong what account. What a great idea, Gemma. So really everything is tip. SMSF <laughs> cash account or personal Store. cash account rather than just an account number, number which for sure you will just not be able to keep track of or use a different institution is the other option because it's so easy with internet banking and all of these mm. sort of easy online services you can make these simple mistakes and just accidentally transfer from one to the other. Suddenly you've made a contribution you didn't need to make or a withdrawal, yes. which is worse. Yes. Um, yeah. And look, I should mention on that point, um, you know, we're not an ogre and we do understand that people genuinely make mistakes. So those kind of inadvertent errors are, are not something that we're going down hard on people on. And I do encourage... Um, unfortunately though, when you get to the end of the year, if that has occurred, your auditor is obliged to report that you have... Um, taken money out and usually it can be recorded as a loan that was paid back or some other financial assistance to members, both of which are contraventions of the CIS Act and carry penalties with them and they are obliged to report that to the ATO. So um, that kind of stuff is when we say really do come forward, we have a voluntary disclosure service and we're not going to be penalising you for that kind of inadvertent behaviour but we do have to deal with it because that's the way the law operates. So yes, that's a, a really good thing to mention. Uh, and I like your practical tip. I do hope your listeners take that up because it could save a lot of pain um, when you're trying to, in a hurry to, mm. I think that's the really hard time. That's when I've made personal mistakes, transferred money to the wrong account by mistake. I can see it easily happens. Um, look, the last thing um, I probably should mention in this space is that we do have quite a lot of information on our website. So there are life cycle videos and um, guidance about what you should think up when you set up, when you're managing, when you want to think about exiting. And I really do encourage people to um, have a look at those when they're thinking of setting up, even before, just so that they get familiar with what are the responsibilities. And um, we have subscription services which give out um, proactive push messaging on news and alerts and things that we are concerned about. So when the ATO systems went down um, about the 11th of June, um, 5th of June around that lodgement date, you know, we send out a message immediately through that service and say, look, you are okay you don't have to lodge. So all those things are really quite handy, I think, for trustees to have a direct line of um, understanding of what the issues are at the moment and what we are seeing. Also, risk alerts where we're seeing um, concerns, for example, cryptocurrency at the moment has had quite a lot of um, 
press and the scams, and we have seen that um, happen. So we do push out articles where we have concerns about things particularly that we're seeing within the industry. So that's what I would also encourage people to try and help keep themselves up to date with what's going on. I will say, uh, you know, most people would probably hear about publications on the ATO website and go, that's... It's probably not for me, might be a bit dry, but yeah. your stuff is fantastic. Um, having worked in the sector for a really long time, it's always been first point of call. It's easy to understand. It's written for the average person. It is. It's very clear there are videos, there are transcripts for the videos because I don't like watching videos. I like to read stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's a really well done website for the average person. So don't, if you're listening to this and going, eh, not for me, give it a go. Like there's great stuff on there and, uh, far you know organizations that are sort of more marketing focused and 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 more giving more attention to shiny things would probably be thrilled to have stuff that is as effective at communicating as what's on the ato they're they're very strict they're very strict about what we put on you're quite right we can't put anything up without a transcript um so it is good so people can consume in the way that suits them um but yeah so ato.gov.au and if you just do forward slash smsf you'll get directed to the smsf pages and i do really encourage the news service it's great and they're all as you've said short articles and it's not technical guidance it's alerts and and you should be aware of this kind of stuff Mm. it's also really good though if you've got questions about particular issues because there are some things so most people when they set up an SMSF, if you look at, there's lots of research about why people do it. And the number one reason is I want to manage my own money, right? Exactly. I want to choose my own investments. How do you help people make sure they're investing in the right things? Because there's a very long and complex list of things under the law that are the right things and the wrong things. And sometimes it's wrong because of the way you used it rather than the thing itself and all that stuff. How do you help people with that? Yeah, so I have to be really clear, um, the ATO is not a regulator of how you invest your money or to give investment advice. That mm. is definitely the, um, where you should be going and getting advice from a professional or you take on that responsibility yourself if you feel comfortable doing that. And that is your prerogative. As an SMSF, you can choose your own investments. But there are um, particular requirements under the law that you have to um, be aware of. So I would say you no-go zones. Uh, the most obvious of those are you can't make a loan to yourself or to a related party. Um, so not your aunt, your uncle, your child, whatever that may be. And nor can you um, lease any of your assets to a related party. Uh, so you can't own a property and uh, rent it to your child. Uh, and the other is um, what we call in-house assets. So again, there um, generally we see this come into play where you have um, a small business and other than the exception for business real property where you can put your commercial premises in, uh, again, that's pretty much a no-go zone. You can't own shares in your own private company, for example. There's a 5% threshold. That's really just to cover inadvertent breaches. Um, that's um, something that you can't do. And if you think about it intuitively, what is that trying to do? It's trying to stop you make a bad investment decision. So that you don't choose to invest in something for a reason other than your retirement purposes because your child needs a property near their university to live in, right? So it might be a good decision, but it's a tainted decision because you're actually thinking about a different reason than is this the right investment for the best return that I can get for my retirement or my retirement objectives more generally. So that's the kind of way I try and get people to think about it is, again, if you're a third party, would you recommend that investment? Would you think that was the right decision to make? I think that's a simple way, rule of thumb for people. But they're the key no-go zones. Um, 
The, the other thing with investments, which we've already touched on, is just making sure they're in the right name because if you invest in something from your SMSF and it's um, not in the SMSF's name, that asset, then that's viewed as a legal early release because you haven't kept it um, safe within the SMSF's name and safeguarded the assets. So look, they're probably um, the really big picture things. Um, there is also perhaps I think a low degree of awareness, if I might just touch on briefly, that you obviously do have to have an investment strategy. Um, again, ASIC's report was really interesting that one third of the people interviewed said they didn't know they, no, they said they didn't um, know they had an investment strategy or needed an investment strategy. And that doesn't mean they didn't have one. Mm. It was probably just in that pack of documents they signed at the time. <laughs> so the, mm. the reality is, again, be engaged, understand you've got legal obligations, and that investment strategy has to address a number of key things like liquidity risk, diversification, um, do you need insurance in your fund? So some really basic um, things that you need to turn your mind to when you're formulating that investment strategy. So. Um, that's one of the other key things I'd like to point out. You know, you might go to um, a, what we call traditionally a one-stop shop, mm -hmm. where they're saying the mortgage broker, the property developer, and the SMSF person are all saying, invest in my lovely property behind us here, buy your apartment, and we'll give you an SMSF. Um, that's a, a great concern for us. Uh, if you put all your savings in one property, you really need to have thought about that. There's nothing to stop you doing that but you need to have turned your mind to the risks associated with that. And so that's the other key factor, I think, in relation to investments people need to understand. A good diversified portfolio is obviously a very healthy way to protect your retirement savings. There are so many things you just said that are so important. Um, <laughs> it's so true. I will say for the investment strategy, as I said, my husband and I both work in finance. We've worked in finance our whole careers. And sitting down and formulating an investment strategy. Mm. We have money invested outside super and have had for quite That's some time. Right. Mm. But to sit down and document it is a really interesting process. And you have to think very broadly about what you're comfortable with. So here's the universe of investments I like versus the universe I don't like. Um, Bitcoin, not for us, you'll be pleased to know. Very um, happy to hear that. <laughs> partly because I know nothing about. Um, not Bitcoin, also not not uh, apartments off the plan. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so here's the universe of investments that we like. What allocation would mm -hmm. we like to them? Is that going to change over time as we get closer to retirement? You know, did he have a different preference to me about yes. certain things? He's got a stronger preference for managed investments than I have. Yeah, all this stuff, it was really, it was actually very healthy for our relationship and it was really good to just document it and think about it yeah, and all that's those That's a great things. discussion, you know, that, and that's what we are looking for from our trustees is to think about what you're doing. Don't just accept something that's put in front of you. Be engaged and, and think about, is this what I want for my retirement? And you raised a really uh, important point there uh, around Yes, it is um, an asset, but it's probably uh, one of potentially a number of assets. And so whilst it might look a bit um, concerning from our perspective, because we only have visibility of what's in the SMSF, one property, 90% of your super, you may have seen some press we're writing out to people at the moment just to say, have, are you really happy with this? Did you turn your mind to the risks associated with it? Um, but if you've got a broader personal strategy that you're working towards and things outside of super, that might be entirely appropriate. Mm. So it's just about have you thought through what you're doing to achieve the aims that you want for your personal retirement. 
So while we're on the subject of property, because I will say it's far less true now than it was, say, two years ago, the number one question I got whenever I gave a presentation about anything SMSF related was, can I borrow to buy a property in a self-managed yeah. fund? Whether they had one or not. And there was a lot of people uh, much younger than the traditional trustee. So the mm. traditional trustee used to be sort of late 50s. And this was sort of a group in their even late 30s, sometimes early 40s. And they had this idea that they would be borrowing to buy property. Um, many of them wanted to do property development. They wanted to renovate. They wanted to do all of these things. And I would be saying, okay, there's a big long set of rules about what you can and can't do. So first of all, work out whether or not you know what those rules are and whether or not what you're planning to do would actually fall within those rules because plenty of them wouldn't have. <laughs> but then there was the other series of decisions about whether or not, to your point, it's going to take up your entire fund, whether or not you can afford it. If you lost your job, whether the contributions that your spouse makes would cover the loan repayments, all these sorts of things. I saw some absolute horror stories where people would set up a self-managed super fund, uh, pay a deposit on a property, oh, yeah. but not have a borrowing in place. And then they couldn't borrow to fund the remainder of the property and, and would have to default. You know, all of these horrific stories. Now, um, speaking on behalf of NAB, we only do lending for SMSFs in very extreme circumstances now. So it used to be much more widely mm -hmm. available, much less common now. Are you still seeing a lot of that? Look, um, it did, uh, there was a real wave of it. I think mm. you're right, Gemma. Uh, it, it, feels like it's less common now. Uh, I think that, look, the big four banks are withdrawing from the market and um, AMP in yeah. has probably made a big impact. Um, I, I think perhaps we might be in a bit of a um, hiatus and I, my concern is that secondary providers will move into the market who perhaps are less um, strict than banks have been on the requirements to get a loan. So I think we're in a bit of a watch this space um, and we're very cognizant that um, the desire by people to own property in Australia, it's just one of the great Australian dreams. So it's, it's hard when that seems to be an avenue to realise that dream. But borrowing um, beyond your means is a recipe for disaster, as you have quite rightly pointed out. I think also so many people had so many misconceptions about what was possible. I would meet people who would say, um, and I met a woman, she was delightful, and she was like, oh, we've bought this property in Paddington in Sydney, it was a beautiful suburb, right, mm. um, for our retirement. And I said, oh, it's inside your self-managed super fund, so you can't live in it. And she said, oh, no, I can, my accountant told me. Uh -huh. And I was like, <laughs> your accountant is wrong. Like, what a disaster. you know, the ATO is pretty clear about this. You can argue with them in court if you like, but I'm pretty sure they're going to win. Um, you know, it was one of those ones where it was very difficult to explain to people, this is, the law is very clear, I see what you've mm. done. It wasn't, so I, I hope you're correct that, that things have abated and it will stay that way. But Look, there will always be a, a segment of the population that will want to do that and absolutely mm. understand why. I, I wonder too, perhaps maybe because the... Um, the property sort of markets come off the boil yeah. a bit. That's probably um, perhaps put the dampener on people's um, aspirations of being a property developer and things like that in that space, yeah. So if you, if you are listening and you have a desire to own a property in a self-managed super fund, understand it is possible, it's definitely possible, but it's very complex and it carries an entirely different set of risks to doing it in your own name. It's absolutely essential you understand what those risks are and what the legal requirements are about it before you do it and 
to your point, and I'm going to say something, I hope you're okay with this, mm-hmm. I get very nervous about the one-stop shops. If yeah. you go somewhere where there is an accountant, a mortgage broker, and a property developer, all in the same group who are going to set it all up for you, you should be asking some very serious questions about what's in it for them because I'm not entirely certain there's a lot in it for you. I think that's a very fair observation, Gemma. (laughs) You never know. You might get lucky and find the one in a thousand where you come off better off. Absolutely. But, you know, it's always the classic. If it looks too good to be true, it probably is. So just, you know, be careful. It's your super and you've worked very hard for it and you want to make sure that it's safe. So Donna, it does sound a bit intimidating, keeping on top of all this stuff. It's entirely possible, right? There's over a million people, as you said, doing this. Exactly. Largely very well. Exactly. Which is pretty, I think it's amazing. I think it's really wonderful that that many people care enough about superannuation, the world's most boring topic, to (laughs) to do it themselves. I really love that. I think it's really awesome. It beats the hell out of not knowing where your super is, which is sort of the other end of the end of the market. How do people keep up to date with this? And you've mentioned it already, but let's go over it again just to make sure people know. And I will reiterate again, this stuff is good quality info and you should get onto it. How do people make sure that they know what you're worried about? Yeah, so um, come to my speeches. I, I speak a lot through multiple um, associations. I, we, I think we deal with um, over 16 different um, SMSF associations and I'm always out there talking about what our current program of work is and what we're, risks we're focusing on. And they are a combination of current and emerging risks. So that's a one good way to do and keeps up your CPD as a trustee, which you should also do. But look, uh, from our perspective, We are very proactive. We do believe a fundamental part of our role is providing support to trustees and awareness of the issues. So ato.gov.au forward slash SMSFs is absolutely a good landing page for you to learn more about super in the SMSF space and anything you need to know. Uh, I do think the videos are really helpful. um, And the last one is do subscribe to our SMSF news. Tana Fleming from the ATO, thank you so much for your time today. I, as a trustee, uh, as well as someone who works in the industry, I just think it's a real privilege to hear directly from the people who are managing this stuff. Not least because you've got all the information about what people are up to. That's quite fascinating in itself. Uh, thank you so much for giving people a bit of an insight into that. It can seem, the ATO sounds pretty scary, uh, but it's good to hear that it's not quite so terrifying. Thank you so much for listening. Also, we hope this episode has been helpful for you on your journey to creating wealth. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future topics, we do love to hear from you. So please just email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.